0: can you hear my topo chico sizzling i can hear topo chico sizzling in the mic all right welcome to the man on the move podcast and today we're talking about the old football coach that's right we're talking football we got the super bowl little under two weeks away. Last Sunday, NFC-AFC championship games. We saw some stuff. We saw some stuff indeed. On the AFC side, the number one seed, Baltimore Ravens, they went out and laid an egg. Complete egg. Lamar Jackson, the odds-on favorite for NFL MVP, had a horrible game. And thereby... Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs are on the way to the Super Bowl. On the NFC side, in Candlestick Park, no, 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 it's not called Candlestick Park. Probably hadn't been in uh, 25 years. That thing's long gone. Uh, let's see, what do we got out there? Levi Stadium, something like that. Anyway, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Detroit Lions. Now, Dan Campbell, head coach of the Detroit Lions, had probably what will go down as one of the worst performances of a head coach in NFL history. And we're going to we're going to break that down later and I'm going to tell you what happened to Dan Campbell and as a result what happened to the Lions. But first of all, let's talk Super Bowl. We'll have the 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, one thing I hear every year going into the Super Bowl is a lot of talk about how the coach of the team will have the first 15 plays of the game scripted. Listen out for this. I guarantee you, somebody somewhere along the way, some analyst, some commentator will say, oh, he's got the first 15 plays of the game scripted. Do they really script the first 15 plays? And how do they know? How do they know what to run? Well, let me tell you, nobody scripts the first 15 plays of the game. Coaches, if you'll watch on the sideline, they usually have a huge laminated sheet full of plays, and they work on a down and distance grid. So on one side of the grid, you're going to have first down, second down, third down, fourth down, and then maybe special plays like two-point conversions and you know, emergency type situations. And then across the top or the other side of the grid, you're going to have the distance. You're going to have, you know, one-yard plays. You're going to have one- to three-yard plays. You're going to have four- to six-yard plays, seven- to ten-yard plays, ten-yard-plus plays. And within that grid is the analysis of the situation. So there's no way a coach scripts the first 15 plays he's going to call regardless of the situation. What that means is they know what their first play is going to run, right? They know that and they've practiced that. But let's say the result of the play is an offensive holding call and instead of first and 10, you got first and 20. Well, they're going to go to their grid and they're going to look to see, okay, I've scripted the first play I'm going to call in a first and 20 situation and here it is. That way, they've kind of predetermined the play based on the situation. On the flip side, if the result of the play is a seven-yard gain and they've got a a second and three, they go to their chart, second down, three yards to go, I've scripted the play I'm going to call in my first, second, and three situation. And so that's what they are talking about when they're talking about scripted plays. Nobody lines up the first 15 plays and says, I'm running these 15 plays no matter what, unless they're a total dumbass. And, well, speaking of dumbasses, I want to talk about the old football coach and my introduction to the old coach by way of youth football. Now, both of my boys played football. Both of them were really good football players. And my introduction to the old football coach came by way of sixth grade in Grassland Middle School, Franklin, Tennessee, when my oldest son started playing football. And I was excited. I wanted to see what was going on. So on day one of practice, I headed out to the field. Now, you know, it's middle of July. It's hotter than the Sahara out there. And everybody's geared up for football, man. And we've got sixth, seventh, and eighth graders out on the field ready to go. And I pull up about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into practice, and what I saw was shocking. Absolutely shocking. It was so shocking, I ended up calling the principal of the school at one point and asking her if she's ever been to a football practice, and I invited her to come to a practice with me. She said no on both accounts and said she'd send the quote-unquote Athletic director out there, but uh, what I saw was shocking. The first thing I noticed when I pulled up is there was a there was a man out there in overalls and like a big straw farmer hat, screaming and yelling at the kids. We're we're 20 minutes into practice one of the season, and this guy is screaming and yelling at the kids unmercifully. Now, this guy is obese. He was probably about 320 pounds stuffed into these overalls. His gut pushed the overalls out so far that they came up as flood pants on his legs. That combined with his farmer hat, he looked ridiculous. And he's just screaming relentlessly. In another section of the field, we had another coach working with another group of players and... um, well, he was obese as well. Uh, probably went 350. He's got on the the uh, polyester coaching shorts. You know what I'm talking about? Like the gray coaching shorts and just this huge gut like hanging over the the shorts. But somehow he's bought a t-shirt in like a quadruple XL that is large enough to come out and over this gut and then get tucked into the shorts and he is just just unrelentingly screaming and yelling i mean we between the two of them we just had a cacophony of screaming and yelling echoing off the school building and the hills around there it was insane over on another portion of the field we had another coach working with the quarterbacks and well he was obese as well um Maybe went 300. Wasn't quite pushing the scales like these first two. But uh, he's working with the quarterbacks. And at one point, he gets so bent out of shape about a a, a pass that the quarterback threw that he just picks the ball up and fires it straight into the quarterback's helmet. Just full power, throws the ball, and pings it off the the dude's head. These are 6th, 7th, and 8th graders out here some of these kids are 11 years old and it looked like a scene out of full metal jacket with the crazy drill sergeant just screaming and yelling walking amongst all of this was the head coach and I'll give him credit he was not obese but he was an idiot and he's walking around just had these like venom filled snake eye slitty snake eyes I swear he had a forked tongue kind of flicking in and out of his mouth. And he's barking and hoofing and snorting and blowing his whistle. And, uh, I don't know, just shouting and yelling and snorting. And he was, he was weird, man. And his style of coaching was this. Here's what he loved to do. He loved to put one kid in a superior position and one kid in an inferior position He'd grab an eighth grader and line him up against a sixth grader and let the eighth grader just annihilate the sixth grader who had never played football before while the eighth grader had two years' experience under his belt. And then that was his way of raw-rawing and pumping up the eighth grader. Yeah, great job, great job, with no coaching at all to the sixth grader who just got laid out flat on his back. No instruction as to why that happened or how you can prevent that or what you need to do next. It was just his way of building up his top players on his top team and using the little guys as, as bait. Basically like chumming the football field with bait for these bigger, stronger guys on his eighth grade team. He'd line up an entire offensive set of eighth graders and then grab a bunch of 6th graders who had never played football and set them up as a defense. And then just let the 8th graders just plow over them. And as 6th graders got just nailed to the ground and and blocked and slammed around and tried to tackle these bigger 8th grade guys, the coach would be cheering on the 8th graders. Yeah, yeah, you go, boy, you go, boy. That's what I'm talking about. And there was no coaching from any of the obese coaches watching all of this go on as to why the sixth graders were getting annihilated. Now the coaches would scream and yell at them. What are you doing? A sixth grader would try to get down in a, in a three point stance. And these guys had never played football before. And they're, they're down in this three point stance. They, they look kind of like a crab with a broken back and The coach is screaming and yell at him. Look at that stance. It's horrible. What are you doing? But the coach is so obese, he can't get down in a three-point stance to show the kid what a proper three-point stance would look like. He just screams and yells at him to tell him that his three-point stance is bad. That was the level of coaching going on out there. Like, if you're playing baseball, wouldn't the coach coach you into proper form on how to line up in the batter's box and swing the bat? Wouldn't he coach you in proper form in in terms of how to throw the ball or how to catch the ball? In basketball, wouldn't the coach show you proper form in terms of how to shoot and what to do with your hand and what to do with your wrist and your elbow and your arm extension? But out here, we had kids flapping around with just no instruction at all. Other than, you're doing it wrong. What are you doing? Total, total insanity. The culmination of this was an Oklahoma drill where the old football coach decided it was time for some pain, boys. Line it up. We're doing Oklahoma. Now, what is an Oklahoma drill? Well, it's a drill so dangerous that the NCAA has banned it in college football. And very, very few teams in the NFL do Oklahoma drills anymore. Basically, you have two offensive linemen and two defensive linemen facing each other. And then you have a guy with a ball taking about a seven-yard running head start. And then you got a guy behind the defensive lineman trying to tackle him. And then all the other players line up into a very narrow channel to ensure there's no escaping the pain. And then you unleash the guy with the ball into the mosh pit and allow him to just get annihilated by the defensive people who are trying to tackle him. And this was the coach's way of figuring out who wanted to be on the team and who didn't. So he was taking all the sixth graders and lining them up as ball carriers, and taking all the eighth graders and lining them up on the defensive side, and just watching the sixth graders just get annihilated. I mean, there was serious, serious chance of injury, bad injuries here. Broken bones, concussions or worse. It was all in play, but all it was was just a chance for these obese coaches and this idiot head coach to just huff up and snort and grunt. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Bring the pain. Bring the pain. Let's go. (laughs) And meanwhile, kids are just laying all over the place, injured, crying, grab another one, put him in, do it again. Absolutely no coaching, no instruction, and no regard for safety at all. It, It was ridiculous. So, at my instruction, my son and I, we left. I was like, this is ridiculous. We left and went to play for the Franklin Cowboys, which is a youth league, uh, run by the parks and rec. And we got out of that insanity. And after we left a few months later, this head coach guy committed suicide. And, um, I don't know what happened to the obese guys. They kind of faded off into the sunset and the whole program kind of fell apart after his suicide. But um, yeah, that was my introduction into the old football coach. So when my younger son decided to play football, I decided to volunteer. Hey, I'll be a coach. And right away, I had these coaches and directors at the Parks and Rec League saying, well, Why? Why do you want to be a coach? What do you know about football? And I was like, well, I'll I'll pretty much guarantee I won't try to get anybody killed out here. I won't scream and yell at the kids. I won't use physical fitness as a form of punishment and make them run laps if they do one little thing wrong. That was another thing going on out on that football field at Grassland Middle. If you did something wrong, man, you were running up and down this hill for 30 minutes in the heat of the summer with all your gear on. You better run, boy. So after I promised not to do all those things, they let me coach. And I got a hold of a 9- and 10-year-old football team, and they gave me a playbook, and they said, here, here's the playbook everybody uses in the league, in the entire league. Everybody runs a 4-4 defense and a single-wing offense. And I'm thinking... I've got gold in my hands. This is pure gold. Not because it had the plays and everything that I needed. It had all the information on all the other teams I needed. And when you hand a book like that to a contrarian like me, I get excited, man. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go find an offense that can beat a 4-4 defense. And I'm going to go find a defense that can beat a single wing offense and will be golden. So I got online. I joined a couple of youth football coaching forums. I found a guy down in Atlanta who talked me through, hey, if if you're against a 4-4 defense, here's the offense you need to run and why. And if you're playing a single wing offense, here's the defense you need to run. And why and man did it work we were hugely hugely successful another form of contrarian coaching have you ever been to a football practice and watch how long teams take to warm up jumping jacks push-ups lay on your back and do bicycle kicks uh Stand up, spread your legs, touch the ground, picking up cherries, whatever they call it, Um, stretch your quads, stretch your hams. Have you ever seen a 9- or 10-year-old football player stretch a quad, blow a hammy? You ever watched backyard football in your neighborhood? The coach that I was working with explained to me, kids are like jackrabbits. You ever seen a jackrabbit pull a muscle when it goes from 0 to 60 Kids are like that as well. We would get out on the practice field with our team, spend a few minutes doing some speed and agility drills that were fun and entertaining and challenging, and that got the kids' heart rate up, got the body temperature up a little bit, and then boom, we were right into place. We were right into our playbook, repetitively running our plays, working on our form, working on our technique. The other teams that were practicing around us on our fields... We're just now completing round one of jumping jacks and and getting on the ground for some push-ups. And and we'd already run five or ten plays. We're already working through our second-string offensive players on our first set of plays. We saved so much time by forgetting about the old football coach warm-up, not going with the traditional football stretch and calisthenics and running laps around the field and all this business. No, we'd get, we'd get a little heart rate up. We'd get a little temp up and we'd go boom, straight into practice. We made practice fun. We didn't run players as punishment. If you messed up, we didn't send you on a lap around the field. We instructed you with quality coaching. I had a former NFL player working with me, who could show you how to get into a three-point stance, who could show you how to properly get low and tackle, how to properly carry and run the ball. We cared about the kids. We didn't scream and yell. We didn't use punishment in any way if they messed up. they messed up, they got coached. They didn't get screamed at. I do want to talk briefly, though, when it comes to youth football about parents at games. Parents at games are almost as abysmal in their behavior as those coaches I saw when I first went to Grassland Middle School. I saw some insane stuff. I saw a a lady taking pictures of whether or not a player was in or out of bounds and then running out onto the field to show the referee her camera screen. I heard parents openly encouraging players to hurt players on the opposing team. And when they did, they would cheer and yell, do it again. Hit him in the knees, take his knees out. They were yelling this from the stands. And the the, the number one offender in all of this, the Brentwood Blaze in Brentwood, Tennessee. Crosstown, our crosstown rivals. Franklin Cowboys versus Brentwood Blaze. Man, that was always a football game. But man, if you played at Brentwood, you you played in a rigged game. They had what I called the Brentwood clock. The, the clock at a football game is always run by a parent volunteer, usually a parent of one of the players on the home team. And if you played at Brentwood, they always rigged the clock for Brentwood. So if it behooved Brentwood Blaze to keep the clock running, they would keep the clock running even when it should have been stopped. And if it behooved Brentwood Blaze to stop the clock, they would stop the clock even though it should have been running. They would they would work that clock so bad, it it was so frustrating. And all you could do was just ask the refs to keep an eye on it. But it is what it is. Um, I mean we we beat them. We 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 played like five different Brentwood teams and went five and zero against the Blaze. So didn't matter to me, but. If you want to cheat, if, if that's the way you go to a, a your kid's football game and, and you want to cheat the clock like that, more power to you, man. We even had uh, we had a really close fourth down play, and we made a first down. And it was obvious, but they brought the chains out to measure. And when they brought the chains out on the field, they realized, oops, the stick was in the wrong place. We didn't have all the links tightened out. And, and then they suddenly and magically found extra links on the chain to pull the, the, the first down marker out, and we were short and had to turn the ball over. And that was a dad of one of the Brentwood Blaze players holding the sticks. If that's, if that's the way you come out to a football game and, and you want to cheat like that at youth football, <laughs> more power to you, dad. Dad. Way to go, Dad. And then, you know, in the news today, I see videos on Twitter all the time, coaches grabbing players by the face mask. I see coaches punching players in the stomach. Trent Dilfer, uh, former NFL quarterback, famously got in trouble here in Nashville. He started like screaming and pushing a player around on the sidelines, just losing control. That's not what it's about, man. Come on, coach tighten up here. Football is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be entertaining. And if you feel like you need to scream and yell and run a Marine drill camp at practice to unleash whatever inner angst you have on an 11-year-old, you need to get the hell off the field. If you're so obese, you can't coach proper form and you couldn't even begin to do the running and physical torture you're asking of your players, you need to get the hell off the field. If your idea of... Building up your players and building up your ego is matching eighth graders against sixth graders to put one player in a superior position, one player in an inferior position, and let that player fail in the inferior position with no coaching and no instruction, only to build up the ego of yourself and your eighth grade player. You need to get the hell off the field. You don't belong anywhere near this sport and anywhere near children. It infuriates me, and I I saw it day in, day out when I coached football. It's horrible. So all that to say, if your kid's playing youth football, I would very much encourage you to go to a few practices, and if you see something that you don't like, if you see something that makes you cringe, it's wrong, and you need to speak out, and you need to shut it down because these these coaches are going to ruin the game. They're going to ruin the game. And let me tell you what happened to Dan Campbell. He's one of these big balls guy. He likes to walk around telling everybody he's got a big set of balls. And Dan Campbell in that NFC championship game, in his mind, Dan Campbell became bigger than the Detroit Lions. Dan Campbell's balls got too big. He didn't care about winning the game. He wanted to win the game in such a way that people would look at him with awe. And he started going for these fourth downs and just these unbelievable situations of fourth down attempts when he could be kicking field goals and increasing his lead. But he was bypassing the field goal in the easy three points to go for it on fourth down in an effort to score a touchdown. Big balls. Tell how I'm going to win the game. I'm going to win with big balls. He's one of these guys that just kind of huffs up, you know, hey, 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 big balls. And in his mind, Dan Campbell became more important. He became bigger than the Detroit Lions. Football is the ultimate team sport. And whenever you see one person on any team make themselves bigger than the game, it cracks. It cracks hard. And it's painful to watch. Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay Packers was like that. He was bigger than the Green Bay Packers. And as a result, the entire team suffered and went down. And Dan Campbell in one of the most terrible, it'll go down in history as one of the most terrible coaching performances in, in NFL football. Dan Campbell became bigger in that moment than the Detroit Lions that big ball energy ended up costing them a trip to the Super Bowl and if history holds true the Detroit Lions will probably play somewhere around 500 football they'll they'll be like nine and eight or eight and nine next year or something like that 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 kind of coaching and that kind of decision making it does not last very long in the NFL yeah he had a great season yeah he turned the Lions around and you know, they had a they had a great run. But over the long term, that kind of thinking from a coach, it's not gonna last. I saw it at Grassland Middle School, those obese coaches and that idiot head coach, they were bigger and they were more important than the youth football team they were coaching. Their big ball energy was ridiculous for trying to coach eleven year old kids. But it's no different than the big ball energy from Dan Campbell. And the poor Lions fans watching the Lions give away a game <laughs> that they could have easily won. Yeah. The old football coach. The old football coach. And that's going to wrap us up for this week. I appreciate you listening. On our next podcast two weeks from now we're going to talk about the only two types of financial stress there are only two types of financial stress I'm going to tell you what they are and I'm going to tell you what you can do about it that's on the next episode of the man on the move podcast I appreciate you listening music as always by Colehead. here check him out on Spotify and remember get out there get on the move stay on the move get with the man on the move. I'll see you soon.